we invite you to attend the January 2023 Nomad Offshore Summit here in Lisbon, Portugal. This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by ECJ Contacts. Side. Welcome. Here we are, HCJ.tax. We do these live streams every week. Just have a look at HCJ.tax forward slash events for what's coming up next. For those who did ask, and thanks for all those RSVPs and those questions. Yes, this is being recorded. You should have, for those joining us on Zoom, you've got a little message saying that, yeah, it is being recorded. So you can, uh, if you're not able to stay for the entire thing, I know some of you indicated that you could not. You can feel free to pick up the recording either on our website, hg.tax, on our YouTube channel, or wherever you get your favorite podcast, because it's going to be available on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, basically wherever you get your favorite podcast, you should be able to find this and other recordings. We do publish videos every day with interesting tidbits about international tax. But please bear in mind, we are licensed, so we're legally obligated to say that this is not advice. So what we're doing is having a general conversation about general principles. If you need uh, what we call actionable intelligence, then you probably want to engage your preferred tax advisor. Well, today we're going to talk about Malta, so you can reach out to David directly. We provide his contact details and you can, you know, engage him and his team if you want to actually take this forward. But this is really not meant to be advisory. We're having a general conversation about general principles. What I hope you walk away with is an appreciation of the key tools and the key issues that you would need to consider in engaging your preferred advisor. So again, we do this every week. This is being recorded. So if you have your camera switched on, understand that your image will be picked up, which isn't a problem for some people, it is for others. So just keep your camera switched off. We had probably around 75 RSVPs. Thank you for that. Those who provided your questions in advance, we do have them. Thank you very much. For those who didn't get a chance to submit their questions, please feel free to type in the box below and we'll get to them in the order in which uh, they, they come across. We're also doing, uh, we take, you know, now that we're emerging out of the, the, the health crisis, we're going to be doing an in-person conference in January in Portugal, Nomad uh, Offshore Life. So it's an opportunity to meet with some of the advisors and hear interesting ideas, cutting edge stuff as you formulate your offshore, your international strategy. So without further ado, I introduce David. David, do you want to say a few words? Introduce yourself. Welcome. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So my name is David. Um, I'm the tax and advisory partner at ARQ Group, which is a multidisciplinary professional services organization based in, based in Malta. Um, um I, I don't know if you have any, any, anything else that you'd like me to add as to who we are and what we do. No. Um, yeah, that's cool. I, I guess we'll get into that as we go through the questions. Sure. So uh, historically, what we would have done is kind of like gone through a presentation first and then go into Q&A. But seeing that there's so many questions and so many interesting questions, we found that 
the audience appreciates it if we just jump right in to some of the key topics that that they raise. So with that in mind, the first question we got is someone is saying that, hey, I'm looking at Malta as a potential place to live while growing a consulting business. With the non-DOM system, how does something like this get set up to minimize taxes overall for an American citizen who's resident in Malta? both personally and for business. So David, you wanna talk us through the non-DOM system? How does it work? Is it similar to Ireland and the UK? If not, how? Yes, it is. I suppose this is similar to the UK. So if you have um, non-DOM resident status, you're subject to tax in Malta on any income arising in Malta and any income remitted to Malta. So capital gains arising overseas, even if they are remitted to Malta are exempt from Maltese tax. Um, Malta also has set up, has uh, launched over the past six, seven odd years, uh, various residency programs. Um, uh, there's also a citizenship program, but I'm, I'm sure we, we'll, we'll delve into that later on. Um, but there are residency programs which are designed for people in various stages in their lives. So whether it, they be in retirement or about to, to go into retirement, um, as well as if they're still active um, and in business. So it would really depend on the particular circumstances of the individual. Um, and then, you know, people like our organization or, or, or others can advise on the appropriate um, product. Um, Malta is uh, English speaking. So, so that is a, a huge advantage. It is one of the few countries where we have two official languages, which is Maltese as well as English. Um, it's a small island um, um, about 60 miles south of the north, uh, so, sorry, about uh, 60 miles south of Italy, of Sicily. So literally um, uh, on the border between, between, between Europe and, and Africa. Um, well, we're about 120 miles north of the African coastline. Uh, it's a very safe country, um, about 500,000 in population, including uh, an element of expatriates who live and work here. There's a thriving tourism sector, as well as a thriving financial services sector. Malta was one of the very first countries um, to regulate and legislate uh, iGaming. So that has seen over the years an influx of uh, some of the major players in this industry um, and some of them have established significant uh, structures in Malta and this is why there is also uh, an increase in, in, in expatriate headcount, um, uh, particularly from the UK, Germany, Scandinavia, Italy. Um, uh, very few, I, to my knowledge, from, from, from the US, though, although that is changing. Okay, thanks. Thanks a lot for that. So, in terms of the the uh, the Resnon Dam system, is it so you're saying it's like the UK? So, once it's remitted into Malta, it'll be subject to tax. Now, is it also like the UK in the sense that there's no particular election to be made in advance? It's afterwards when you're filing your tax return retroactively, you make that sort of declaration. Is is that accurate? Correct. Correct. Our tax system is based on self-declaration. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, in June of the following year, so, so in, in, in the year of assessment, um, we prepare and file our annual tax declaration in which we are to disclose 
um, any income, uh, capital gains that we have we have recorded received during the preceding year. And on the back of that, there is a tax calculation which is made, and any tax which is due is then settled, um, as I said, by by the end of June of the year preceding the preceding year. Um, it also depends on whether the individual is under a residency program because the various residency programs have different tax regimes attached to them. So one particular program for non-EU nationals is what is known as the Global Residence Program. Um, so that would apply for anyone who comes from any country which is not uh, part of the EU or the EAA. Um, and that is based on a minimum tax of 15,000 euros, which is paid annually. So uh, the 15,000 uh, is, is uh, an assumption that the recipient has remitted to Malta not less than 100,000 euros in active income. And that active income is then taxed at a rate of 15%, flat rate of 15% any remittances that are made, uh, which are in excess of that 100,000 euros, are also taxed at the same 15% rate of tax. However, any income sourced from Malta is then taxed at 35%, which is the maximum personal tax rate, which also happens to be the fixed corporate tax rate. Okay, that's good to know. Now, in the UK, I guess it's been uh, in the public domain as they, the newly appointed or elected or selected <laughs> prime minister. His wife, I understand, is on, uh, was previously under the, the, the non-dom regime, and there seems to be a lot of pushback, but it's not recent. It's been a trend for the past, let's say, five to ten years, where there have been a gradual... I don't want to say erosion, but limitations in the non-dom regime in the UK. Now there are all these deemed domicile rules. Is this, I'm mentioning this because I'm curious, like, is there a similar trend in Malta where there's some pressure being put on the non-dom regime and are there deemed domicile rules in play now? Or do you foresee any in, in coming up? Um. At, I think I think the, the res non dom does allow for some aspects of planning, I, even let's 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 be frank, aggressive planning. You know, because there are some gaps, uh, and 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 these gaps can and have been exploited. Um, at this stage, to my knowledge, there is no particular drive in Malta to towards um, uh, narrowing the scope. However, Malta is fully compliant with, with, with OECD pronouncements and also with uh, EU. Um, so we work hand in hand with our EU partners. And if there is any pressure towards uh, revisiting this or, 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 or narrowing the options, then of course, it is more than likely that Malta will follow suit. However, as we speak today, um, to my knowledge, again, there does not seem to be any particular focus by the Maltese authorities um, to, to revisit or change uh, the current rules. Okay, fantastic. Thanks a lot for that. So now let's, let's move down to the second question. The tax system with the rebate of 
uh, of the 35% corporate tax rate yes. and such for multiple companies is complex. Yes. Seems potentially risky for compliance now that they've added certain CFC control foreign corp rules. If your holding company doesn't have any real management elsewhere, so no real substance elsewhere. And I've read that this system is under review since they signed the global minimum tax uh, regime. So could you comment on that, that the rebate on the 35% corporate tax system and the new CFC rules, please? Sure. So first of all, um, the multi-tax refund regime is can be seen to be complicated actually it is not it is very simple and very straightforward so so um i'll just i'll just briefly take a few minutes just to explain how how it it, it uh, works because there is a lot of um uh, mis misinterpretation to my knowledge uh, as to how this actually works so as we mentioned before the corporate tax rate in malta is fixed at 35 percent um, once a Maltese corporate makes a distribution upward to its non-resident shareholder, which can be either a physical person or a, a juridical person, um, the value of that distribution can benefit from a tax refund, a partial tax refund, which is a equivalent either to six-sevenths of the tax paid by the underlying corporate or five-sevenths in the case of passive income. Okay, so so basically, um, the effective leakage in motor can be reduced from thirty-five percent, reduced to either ten percent or five percent. Recently, um, in twenty twenty, motor also introduced what is known as the fiscal consolidation. So, where you have a qualifying structure, which is a, a holding and an underlying subsidiary, that structure, if it meets certain requirements, certain parameters, can also benefit from shifting the tax obligations from the subsidiary, from the operating company to the holding company. And the holding company pays tax directly at 5%. Okay, so that bypasses the uh, refund mechanism, which, which takes around six months from beginning to end. Um, with regards holding companies it's it's a very interesting question it's a, it's a it's a question which we ask ourselves as well as part of our own compliance procedures because a holding company by its by its definition is there just to hold so although of course it needs uh, effective management but really management intervention in most holding companies is 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 very limited because a holding company owns subsidiaries, it receives regular reports from its subsidiaries, which its directors are obliged to review to make sure that everything is progressing as it should. And at the end of the year, hopefully it is in receipt of dividends, maybe some interest income from any loans that might have been um, provided to its, its subsidiary companies. So in most cases, it does not really entail hands-on uh, involvement from, from management on a daily basis. So how do you quantify substance uh, in, in Malta? Um, of course, there are no fixed rules. Um, it's not as if you, you can open a manual and say you have to have these requirements and as long as you tick all these boxes, then you're fine. So I think it, it's just a question of common sense. You know, so you cannot have um, um, uh, a director who is continuously residing in a third country 
who is taking uh, decisions, even if these are few and far between, uh, without ever setting foot on the island, without having some kind of presence on the island. Um, of course, the whole conversation changes when we're talking about operating companies. So companies which have uh, active income, of course, uh, the, the, the involvement of management there is more acute and is more pronounced. So um, when it comes to holding companies uh, and CFC, um, one would need to look at significant people functions, where these are being performed, um, where the subsidiaries are located, whether the subsidiaries are located in, in, in countries which have a, a zero tax uh, base or, 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 a, or a highly attractive tax base. So there are a number of, of uh, um, observations that one must make. Thanks, I appreciate that overview. So. Uh... For we've had a, an increase in interest from U.S. persons in Portugal, uh, and and here's where Malta fits in. Portugal does have its own equivalent of a, a non-dom in the form of a non-habitual resident, but it excludes securities income. So you know, so entrepreneurs, investors moving from the U.S. into Portugal, they're often surprised by the fact that they're going to be hit by a 28% tax rate on the sale of securities in the U.S. However, what some advisors have been saying or suggesting is, hey, if you hold your interest in in those U.S. securities using a Maltese company, then they when it's a goes through Malta, and of course it benefits from the, the rebate system at that point in time. And then you receive your dividends out of Malta into Portugal tax-free. Right. Now, how does that fit in with what you just said in terms of the growing need for some sort of substance? Um, well, it's interesting because this is um, really uh, something which is, which, which is driven by the parameters as you have rightly described under the Portuguese non-habitual residence scheme. So one of the conditions um, for, for a, a beneficiary under this scheme to receive income uh, net of Portuguese tax or free actually exempt from Portuguese tax, further Portuguese tax, is that they must receive dividend income from a, a company which is uh, domiciled in an EU member state. Okay, so this is why we have seen a number of, of entities being set up specifically to hold um, assets. Um, in some cases, we also have uh, companies which are active, which are operating companies, but who pay out dividends to uh, persons who are resident under this scheme in, in, in Portugal. Um, again, I suppose it all depends on on the advisor and, and his interpretation of substance rules and his appetite for risk. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, so, 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 so you, you might come across um, advisors who say, look, we'll just set up a holding company. We'll just put someone and to act as director of this company and, 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 and that's it, you know? I suppose here again, we always talk around the same argument and that is common sense you know you, you need to common sense should prevail you need to um, take a risk-based approach especially when uh, you're advising your clients um, and you i if i had to err i would always suggest that 
our clients err on the side of caution. It's better to um, be able to address any challenges should they ever materialize uh, rather than um, uh, start off on a very weak footing. And if there is a challenge, then, then, then we're in trouble. Mm. Okay, thank you, Sayan. And the, okay, the person who posed the question mentioned that CFC rules if the holding company does not real management. Okay, could you, I think you did touch on it previously, but could you uh, just emphasize what are these new CFC rules as it impacts on these holding companies? Um, I think the new CFC rules impact on, as I said, where key function, key people functions are being performed. Um, and also um, the domicile of the subsidiaries. So, okay. uh, you know, so you, you need to look at, you need to look at these particular parameters uh, and then see how CFC is going to impact, whether it's going to shift the tax uh, jurisdiction to one state rather than another. Um, uh, but it's not, it's, I don't think that there is a generic answer that I can provide. You would need to look at the specific circumstances and then be able to advise your client accordingly. Okay, gotcha. And, and just to add to that, I know there's been discussion about some new anti-avoidance anti directives at the EU level, the unshell yes. rules against yes, the yes. so-called letterbox companies. Uh, as it gets phased right. in over the next few years, I guess that would also have some impact. But as this person is mentioning companies, I just want to throw in, you know, companies are uh, dealing with company structures is one thing, but the biggest challenges we see with our clients these days, and I, I don't know if you've seen it on your side as well, but it's with banking. So my question yes. is, as people set up structures using Malta, how challenging or, you know, what is the situation with banking for ba with banks in Malta? Very honest answer. It's not easy. Um, uh, local banks, the, 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 uh, in particular, have um, taken a very uh, uh, risk-averse uh, stance. Mm -hmm. So, um, unless they are satisfied, of course, putting aside the normal due diligence KYC requirements, you know that that the person that is sat in front of them um, can prove without any shadow of doubt, you know, that what he's doing is, is completely legal, where his money is being sourced from, from completely legal legal activities. Um, so putting all of that aside, because I think that that is today, you know, um, uh, part and parcel of what we do. So I don't think we need to delve much more into that aspect. Um, but my personal experience is that they do not touch exotic um, activities such as cryptocurrencies, digital, digital currencies, you know, things which they are not particularly comfortable with and uh, sectors which are considered to be high risk. So that makes uh, opening a banking relationship extremely, extremely hard, if not virtually impossible. Um, with a traditional bank, I'm talking exclusively traditional because these online banks, there are, there are, of course, various options um, to meet various uh, risks involved. Um, but usually, as long as the, you can satisfy the bank that there is substance, that management and control is being exercised from Malta, that the, the, the operations are, are, are simple um, and the bank can clearly understand the business model, 
then usually it is it is not impossible. It is actually uh, doable, and we are starting to see the local banks open up more and more gradually, but but uh, but opening up nonetheless um, uh, to new business enterprise. Mm. Okay, great. I hope that answers this person's question. Moving on to the next one. Can you talk about what you know about the direction? So I know this this is always an unfair question, but still, you know, given the general political sentiment, what are your thoughts as to where corporate taxation is evolving, generally speaking? Sure, sure. Um, million dollar question. Um, so I think you and I have had the opportunity um, earlier this year now to, to discuss my personal views. And my, my personal views is that maybe it is about time that Malta replaces its, its uh, tax legislation, which um, uh, can, can trace its, its, its birth to uh, an ordinance in 1949, if I'm not mistaken. Um, um, the Minister for Finance actually um, um, recently came out publicly and said that Malta is actually considering changing its current legislation. Um, quite likely, I would imagine they would um, remove the tax refund mechanism and come up with something which is maybe uh, a little bit more simple and straightforward. Um, we do not have any um, information about what this would look like. There was a lot of speculation at the time that the minister uh, did come out with this. And I think it was also a reaction to pillar two um, and a lot of uh, pronouncements even at EU level about um, uh, anti-tax avoidance. Mm -hmm. However, uh, it does not seem to have, um, uh, it, nothing, nothing has been published to this, to this point. Um, our thinking is that there will be a reduction in the overall corporate tax rate. Um, and I think that that is where it will stand. Um, but again, uh, this is speculation from our end. Um, and uh, uh, I think the minister has recently said that kind of everything has been put on hold because of what's going on in the, the global economic scenario. Uh, so therefore, uh, it, it's not the opportune time to create any major changes at this point in time. Okay, so that kind of touches on another, uh, another of the person's sub-questions. So we, it's, it's gonna change, but then everything does change, nothing stays the same. But in terms of predicting when that's gonna be tough right now, uh, so for the foreseeable future at least, it will be yeah. what it will be. So there's stability in the near term. And so, so this person is asking, so any tips for working within the existing system to ensure that the rebate is processed quickly and efficiently? Like what tips and tricks that someone needs to keep in mind to prevent any issues? Yes, so um, under our income tax management tax, I think the, 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 the tax authorities are bound to uh, issue the refund um, within a 45 day period from the application being submitted. However, uh, over the past three, four, five years, this has um, um, not been maintained and we've had instances where clients were, were still seeking refunds 
you know, 12, 12 months down the line. This was due to a significant backlog uh, that was uh, accumulated. Everything was backed up and uh, um, there was also um, fewer boots on, on, on the ground to manage and process these applications. Um, um, I think there are no tricks. There are no tricks involved. You know, it's a, it's a very basic standard um, uh, refund application process. Um, it, it is important that the company um, is up to date, is fully compliant with its, with its tax, with its, with its corporation tax, with its employee tax and with its VAT because I think that that also helps um, um, uh, expedite the process. Um, and an option, an alternative to that is the fiscal consolidation. So usually when you have a company that can benefit from the refund, it's not automatic, but it is more than likely that the structure would meet the parameters set out uh, under the fiscal consolidation guidelines. So um, a, a migration to this regime would make sense and would eliminate the gaps uh, that, that, that many companies are experiencing in, in having their refund process. And again, for those who may have missed it earlier, the fiscal consolidation regime, what exactly does that involve? So the fiscal consolidation regime um, is where you have a qualifying structure. So you have a holding company and a multi-subsidiary. The subsidiary um, no longer pays tax at 35%. Okay, it, it is assumed that there is a full distribution of chargeable income um, made at operating company to the parent, which can be resident or resident. Um, and it is then that parent company which is obliged to settle tax. Mm. Okay. The tax rate for this qualifying structure would be set at 5%, no longer 35, and then you get the refund back. So it's automatically set at 5%. So that eliminates any, any time, time differences. Um, also is a, is a huge benefit to cash flow, you know, because you don't have to pay at 35 and then wait six months, maybe even more to receive the refund. It's automatic and it's done straight away at 5% and, and you close your tax year. Okay, perfect. Okay, I hope that answers that person's question. So another tricky question. So they're asking about the operating costs and um, naturally it will vary depending on the exact facts and circumstances of your situation and the, your preferred advisory team. But generally speaking, for incorporation and uh, the actual running costs or the compliance cost. Um, of course. To, so, uh, roughly what is someone looking at? Yeah. Okay, so, so incorporating a, a plain vanilla company, you're looking at, at roughly 2,500 to 3,000 euros, depending on any add-ons that you might, you might wish to include. Um, you're probably looking at, at uh, another 500 euros in one-time compliance costs, so that is to perform the initial KYC and due diligence. This may increase if the uh, ownership structure is, 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 is complicated. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then for a sub 500 annual transactions uh, from an accounting tax compliance, VAT compliance, you're probably looking at, at something in the region of, of 3,000 to 4,000 euros, and then maybe another 2,000 euros in annual audits, mm -hmm. because every company in Malta is obliged to uh, undergo uh, an, an audit by, mm -hmm. by an independent audit, audit firm. 
Understood. So, roughly, roughly, I think running costs for a for a, for a small to medium sized company um, uh, would be in the region of 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 I would say anything between five and seven thousand euros, and then one time setting up costs probably another three thousand five hundred to to five thousand euros. Okay, thanks a lot for that. You mentioned VAT, which is you know it it could be. Uh, quite interesting for someone for setting up a structure and when they come from outside of Europe where VAT isn't necessarily part of the, the tax paradigm. Is there a threshold for VAT chargeability or is VAT chargeable from the very first uh, invoice from an, within an operating company structure? No, no, there is a threshold. I, I, I think the threshold is, is 30,000 euros um, so any any small uh, enterprise which is which is turning over less than thirty thousand do not charge VAT but can no longer claim VAT either. Right. Okay. And the VAT rate is how much? VAT rate eighteen percent. Um, on utilities, it's uh, and uh, hospitality, it's seven percent. Mm -hmm. um, um, uh, yeah, so so that's about it. Okay, all right, sounds good. Uh, next question: What kind of deductions can you personally and for the uh, okay can you use personally and for your business to reduce mm -hmm. your overall taxable income in Malta? And they're asking how different it is from the American tax system. But generally speaking, uh, what what type of deductions are available on your personal returns and on the corporate returns? Okay, so um, deductions um, are allowed when uh, these are incurred uh, wholly and exclusively in the production of the income. Okay, mm -hmm. so, so um, uh, any expense which any expense which is directly incurred in, in, in the operation of the mm -hmm. business is allowed as a deduction. Now, of course, um, uh, the lines blur when you have uh, an independent person who's providing consultancy services. Um, so our advice is always that they should try and maintain separate books and not confuse or, or mix personal expenditure with, with, with business expenditure. Um, however, of course, uh, there are areas where, where, where the lines blur even further. Again, you are counseled to advise to, 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 to use discretion, you know, and, and um, to be consistent in how you apply uh, certain deductions. But um, uh, a proportion of utilities, if you're operating from a home office, of course, mm -hmm. a proportion of, of your utilities are, are, are perfectly... Mm -hmm. to acquire hardware, software, you know. And I think if there is a, a strong correlation with the expense and with the business and the business model, I think that there is nothing really there uh, which should be a major concern. Okay, yeah, that's great. So I guess the, the key point from a corporate point of view, and again, being born of uh, English uh, common law. It's quite familiar. The idea that the expense has to be wholly and exclusively 
use right. for whatever your line of business is, which is a slight nuance away from the US. In US, it has to be ordinary and necessary. So okay. it's similar, but yes. you know, there's some room for varying interpretations. But uh, and, and I take the key point, and hopefully the person who asked the question did as well, that it's super important to respect the fact that the company is a separate legal entity from yourself and try not to give any excuse for the competent authorities to pass that veil of incorporation. You know, treat it, you know, have, you know, make sure everything is minuted, make sure, you know, there's no commingling of funds, so on and so forth. All the, the usual bits of financial hygiene that you would use in the U.S. anyway would apply. Right. Okay, that's great. Moving down. Uh, some, so the questions are kind of turning towards the whole citizenship or immigration slash residency side of things. Does anyone actually get multi-citizenship through naturalization? If so, what have you seen? Uh, I guess, how does it happen? How does it happen? So, sorry, you, I lost you there for, for, for a moment. So I hope I, I hope I, um, no. I hope I got correctly um, so so yes Morty's Morty's immigration act does uh, consider naturalization and um, as long as a, an applicant can prove that he has had very very strong connections to the island for an uninterrupted period of five years or more um, it is possible to apply uh, for naturalization Um, uh, and there's a process, there's an application, and there's a process, there's a vetting, um, there's a, a note of allegiance, there is also, um, um, uh, uh, um, I, I'm trying to, to, to find the right word, a, a, a test, I suppose, uh, to see that the person does appreciate Maltese culture and has a, a good understanding of, of Maltese culture, Maltese history, and also basics of the Maltese language. Um, but yes, mm. it is possible. Okay, language test as well. Okay, uh, would you say that the the that process, that naturalization process, is particularly rigorous? Because I'm aware of certain jurisdictions where it's pretty tough. Uh, for example, in in the UK, the average British citizen probably could not pass their life in the UK test that <laughs> aspire, uh, would be citizens need need to study for and pass. So, would you say that 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 process of the exams and language is it's it's a it's a tough hurdle to cross or would you say it's it's doable by the average person uh, of the extent of this test um i would imagine that it is doable but i would also imagine that it is not easy um because the the whole plan the whole the whole objective, I suppose, is, is of course, um, to ensure that people who can contribute to the country um, uh, obtain, obtain uh, citizenship by naturalization. So I, I'm sure that there has to be a, um, a little bit about the language and also a little bit about the history and the culture. If you are to integrate well into, into any country, not just Malta, 
it, it is important that you do no longer um, consider yourself as a stranger or are seen as a stranger, but you integrate well and you respect the culture and the nuances of that country which is actually hosting you. So, so um, although I don't want to say anything which might not be correct or precise, you know, I do believe that the, the, the process is, is eminently doable, but I'm sure that it is not, uh, it's not simple and straightforward, you know, that anyone can just go and, you know, just, 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 just sign on the dotted line and that's it. Okay, fantastic. Thanks a lot for that. So that, that's a great segue into the, the whole uh, investment migration space. So correct me if I'm wrong in that it's a common misunderstanding that Malta has a citizenship by investment program. It does not. It has a, a residency by investment or a golden visa uh, program, which can also have accelerated pathways to citizenship. Am I correct in saying that way? No, no, actually Malta does have a citizenship by investment okay, program. It's, yeah. it's, it's called the ESDI um, and it is a, a citizenship by extraordinary investment. Uh, and this replaces the previous program, which was the MIIP, which was the Malta Individual Investor Program. Uh, this was revamped in 2021, if I'm not mistaken, a April or thereabouts. Um, and today the, the, um, the program is, is, is more robust. It has a very, very comprehensive due diligence process. Um, uh, which is probably one of the toughest um, uh, available on the market uh, today. Um, and uh, um, it, 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 the first phase, so the applicant and his dependents will receive a residency status in Malta, and they should maintain that residency for at least one year um, prior to becoming citizens. Uh, second stage is submission of the full application for citizenship, and that takes um, anything from 12 months to 36 months. Um, 12 months, there's a fast track option where, where the costs are, of course, slightly more expensive, or else there is once either the 12 month or 36 month period has elapsed, then uh, citizenship is, is granted. Okay. Um, Sorry. Yeah. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so if I'm understanding, so with that extraordinary investment, the, the fastest track gets you from uh, point A to point B in 12 months. Is that the Correct. fastest? Correct. Right. Correct. Okay. 12 months from, from the time that the application is submitted. And of course, mm -hmm. uh, provided that the application. Hmm. Okay, I think we have a technical. Sorry, David, we, we're missing bits and pieces of, of your side. Yes, yes, breaking up, yes. No, I, I said that the 12 months would run from the day that the full application is submitted and on the assumption that the application is complete and, 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 and correct. Mm -hmm. Okay, gotcha. And is there a residency requirement? Like, does the applicant need to be in country during that period of time, or can they be elsewhere? In the 
year, in the first year, where there is what is known as the residency phase. Um, yes, there, there, there has to be, of course, it doesn't mean that you have to be here for 365 days in any given year, but there is an obligation on the applicant to spend as much time on the island as, as possible. Um, also, because this is the initial um, period where the applicant starts to get more accustomed, more acclimatized to Malta, uh, to Maltese culture. Okay, so, so that is, that is the, the general intention there. Um, of course, um, uh, normal absences from the island are of course uh, allowed. People still need to maybe um, uh, travel for, for work, for family, uh, you know, for holiday. So um, th there's no hard rules on this. But again, you know, caution and reasonableness should always uh, apply. Understood, understood. So uh, it's a great segue into the article on a particularly high-profile U.S. billionaire, Peter Thiel, one of the early investors, co-founders in Facebook and Ethereum and a whole bunch of other stuff. So he apparently, according to the media, he's on a pathway to, to citizenship, but just... I mean, obviously, we don't know the intricacies of that situation, but generally speaking, the program the program is quite popular. Uh, everything is above board, and lots of people have been applying and being successful uh, on that on that journey to citizenship. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I I lost you there. Oh, no problem. Yeah, we we some technical difficulties. So I was pulling the article. I think it was in the New York Times. Yeah. On yes, U.S. billionaire Peter yeah. Thiel into the into yeah. the homes, and you know the the article tried to sensationalize it a bit, but essentially, that the citizenship by investment program, as you've just described, it's completely normal. It's completely legit. Everything is above board, and lots of people all over the world have been taking advantage of it. Is that is that fair to say? What are, what are your comments on it? Yes, I, I think I think that um, the press seem to have tendency to to over sensationalize and dramatize, um, especially when certain individuals uh, are involved, and 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 the individual in question is of course a very high profile individual, especially in in, in the US. Um, as you said, Malta has a very very robust. Uh, Um, it was designed to ensure that undesirables do not filter through. Um, I think what was unfortunate in this case, and, and, and I have no doubt that this was a, a genuine mistake, was that the address that um, this applicant uh, selected as his residential address uh, for during the, the application process uh, was also advertised uh, as a, as a, as a um, uh, premises for, for Airbnb, with Airbnb. Uh, I, I would have no doubt in my mind that this was an oversight, but um, that is also what caused a lot of the sensation. Um, Malt is very keen to promote citizenship, but again, citizenship with, with, with substance. So um, the idea is that these people, uh, and, and usually it is uh, people who have been successful in life, in their business life, in their careers, 
you know, um, take up citizenship in Malta because it is also seen as a way where they can contribute uh, to the Maltese economy, contribute to Maltese philanthropy. Um, uh, there's also, uh, you know, the notion of a, a transfer of, of skills potentially as well as the potential to open up extensive businesses, uh, especially multi-startups, multi-repositioning itself as a, as a hub for startups, uh, startups in general, but particularly technical text startups. Um, so, of course, having high-profile people with, 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 with sound and extensive business connections can help a Maltese entrepreneur or, or any entrepreneur who is um, uh, domiciling his, his startup business from Malta can help propel them to the next level quicker and faster. Okay, great. And unfortunately, it's not just the media, but we've seen that the European Union, like Brussels, seems to have some level of discomfort with citizenship by investment we saw it with cyprus and we saw it in some of the commentary about certain caribbean islands and now there appears to be some sort of situation with malta i, I know it's sensitive but do you want to comment generally on it um yes i mean the, the only comment that i can make and, and it's not a partisan comment is the comment that resonates with what the Maltese government said the Maltese government is very very um um uh, serene ab about the robustness of of the pro the um, um, the program uh, and therefore they are very confident that uh, they will address this challenge by the um, courts uh, at eu level uh, so I suppose it's just a, a watching brief, uh, and, and we just have to see how this whole thing pans out. Okay, breaking up again. You're breaking up again, but I think we yeah. got the gist of what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, another another point that I, I wanted to touch on and get your, your your comments. I think before we went live, we were talking about multi positioning itself as a great jurisdiction for family offices. Do you want to say a few words? Do you want to comment on that? Sure, sure, sure. Um, uh, I think my personal opinion is that that Malta is is a is a very good jurisdiction for family office type structures. Why? Because we have a, an extensive tax treaty network. Um, um, we have a very simple um, and, and, and sound tax system, which has been peer reviewed by the European Union. Um, uh, we also, as a jurisdiction, work very well with other jurisdictions like the UK, like Germany, like Switzerland. So it's very easy to have a family office, but then outsourcing um, uh, portfolio management, for example, to a Swiss portfolio company or a wealth management company. Um, so I think there's a there's a there's a, a tremendous pool of highly qualified uh, persons within the financial services sector. It's a sector that Malta has been developing since its first foray in 1988 with the um, uh, MIBA Act. Um, so there's a, a good body of knowledge there and, and a good basis on which to build. Um, um, 
So I think that that is where we will start to see more activity um, from from service providers such as such as our own, um, who will start to to, to develop that market um, uh, more extensively. All right, but I want to comment on that the, the talent pool because I guess that's a criticism that's been levied on other smaller jurisdictions that are pursuing that that family office. There's substance is the name of the game right now, so you need to have boots on the ground. And if the talent pool is shallow and it's difficult to attract talent in, and there's uh, there's size restrictions because you know the yes. island is only so big, does that place a natural limit? as to how far the sector can really go? Okay, I think, oh, okay, you, you, we, we lost you for a bit. Uh, I don't no, know, did I, you hear? Yeah, I, I, I think, I, think I, I got the basic trust of what, you, what, what your question is. Um, so M Malta, M Malta has, as I said before, has been developing a financial services sector for, 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 for several years now. So the um, um, uh, local technical institutions, universities um, have reacted to that. Uh, and so we have um, a very high level of education. Um, Maltese people. Um, um, high standard of education. Um, so the talent pool has been augmented over the years by, by people coming here to set up um, structures in Malta, particularly when it comes to, for example, the gaming sector, or up to a few years ago, the um, investment fund sector. Um, so, so many of these people have moved on, some have stayed, stayed here, but the talent pool, um, is 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 pretty pretty strong. Okay, great. Uh, so yeah, I'm looking at my various screens, and I think that that's it in terms of questions. Uh, thank you for sharing some of your valuable time and 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 fueling these questions. Uh, it has been a quite a. It's an important topic right now because Malta is a jurisdiction very much in, in, in the limelight. Any parting words, any final comments before we close? Um, no, not really. I, of course, I want to thank you. Mm -hmm. um, I, I look forward to maybe other opportunities in the future to discuss more uh, in depth on, on, on other areas that might be of interest to, 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 your, to your followers as well. And if somebody wants to, you know, they're really keen on Malta, like the person who asked some of these questions, consultants, family offices, people who want to use Maltese structures, how can they find you? What's the best way to reach David? Um, well, best is, is uh, via email, of course, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm also more than happy to share my So, yeah, I after this... What's your email address? So my, my, shall I, maybe it's best yes, if I type. Oh yeah, you can type it and, and yeah. Yeah, so here we go. I can see there's also some questions here, maybe for me. So I will, I will deal with them after this call. Okay.
So that's that's my email. Okay, so I'm gonna read it out just for anybody who uh, you know a lot of, most people aren't in our Zoom chat. So it's david.borg, B-O-R-G. That's david.borg at A-R-Q group, all one word, dot com. That's david.borg at A-R-Q group, one word, dot com. Uh, and I guess you can find out, they can find out more information on, you, on your organization, on your team, by just going to A-R-Q group, dot com, www.arqgroup.com. All good? Perfect. Perfect. Fantastic. Perfect. Again, thank you very much. And thank you those who have tuned in and are listening. And we'll see you next time. Have a good day ahead. Bye-bye now. Thank you to everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.